In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Do you find yourself searching for true crime podcasts that are different from what you're always recommended? Do you want to make a real difference in the cases that you're following? Well, you're a crime junkie. And I'm Ashley Flowers the creator and host of the number one true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. There are hundreds of episodes already available, and each Monday we dive into the details of cases spanning from some of the most infamous to those that you have never heard covered before. Listen to Crime Junkie podcast now, wherever you're listening. Hey there, Ben Kissel here for Last Podcast Network. I want to tell you about my show, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. For more than nine years, Marcus and I have strived to present you with the most accurate and honest political podcast out there. In these turbulent times, it's our intention to unite the country with impassioned debate that reaches out to the rational Americans who find their voices more muffled every day. Every week, I use my political science background, my experience running for office, along with my lifelong passion to stand up for the downtrodden, the wrongfully accused, and the invisible man and woman to bring you news like you haven't heard before. Let's face it, traditional news has failed us. We promise to always tell you the truth the best we see it, and I personally guarantee to not be swayed by hyper-partisanship, but be guided by facts. To listen, search Abling's Top Hat on any podcast platform or go to lastpodcastnetwork.com and find it under shows. Hail yourselves, everyone. Now back to Last Podcast on the left. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast on the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. So I started noticing something. Uh-oh. Um, as we were going through this episode. Joe DeMambro has the same physical body as L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> who has the same physically shaped body as who? Your favorite special guest of last podcast on the left, Hong Kong Henry Zabrowski. That's right, he does. And so I'm saying, how many specific women of this world have viewed the bodies of Joe, both Joe DeMambro and L. Ron Hubbard as the body of God himself. Uh-huh. All right. Well, don't get too full of yourself. This is the last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks here in New York. I am Ben. And yes, our guest for episode, what are we on now? I think it's 341. So our special guest for episode 341, he's been here for 340 episodes, Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, man. I have the body of a god. And I can see why <laughs> that's why people react so startled to me. When I'm cuz I'm trying to add more of shirtless walking on the street. Right. Cuz in LA I see it all the time and why should they be allowed to do it and not me? Well, you know who else people get startled by? The leprechaun. It's not because of your godlike body. Oh, where's me go? Uh, I would be great as that honestly sexy leprechaun. We're going to we're going to I'm going to say couch this and wait for Heidi Ween next year, sexy leprechaun. <laughs> Heidi Ween. All right. So why even mention this, these cult leaders, you might ask. Uh. Today's episode, this stuff, I'm just going to say it's wacky. Wacky? I'm going to go with wacky. <laughs> wow. uh, we're going to talk about the Order of the Solar Temple, and I, I don't know why this story isn't more famous, 
But ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear this story here first. Well, we're going to get into why this story isn't more famous. All right. The Order of the Solar Temple, a.k.a. L'Ordre du Temple Soleil. Congratulations. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> was a largely mysterious doomsday cult that gained a short-lived worldwide notoriety in the mid-90s for the mass suicide and or murder of 74 of its members Ooh. in Switzerland and Quebec. Whoa. So now that is far above Heaven's Gate suicide. That's, what, that was about tw- that's over twice what Heaven's Gate was. Jeez, all right. Yeah, but technically, do they count less because they didn't have any penises? <laughs> uh, perhaps. <laughs> but unlike other suicide cults who do it all in one go, the OST spread theirs over a period of three years from 1994 to 1997, killing themselves or murdering other members in five separate incidents. Whoa. And I tell you what, they had a little bit extra pizzazz um, than even Jonestown, even though Jonestown is one of the most famous mass suicides in the world we deeply covered it and the pictures from it are devastating right but if you saw if you look at the crime scene photos of the uh, order of the solar temple and the way the bodies were found laid about in their golden robes Ooh. covered in burnt i mean just burnt alive it is fucking it is metal as shit well you know if you're gonna commit suicide it's always important to dress like rick flair <laughs> really that that is the key to a part to a but it is interesting don't forget ladies and gentlemen as well i don't know why i'm saying ladies and gentlemen uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I'm channeling some inner AM radio host or something. <laughs> but it was Flavor Aid at Jonestown. Yes, yes. Flavor Aid. But really, this isn't like Jonestown. Mm-hmm. There were only a couple of survivors out of the five nights in question. And that was only out of one of the nights. Mm-hmm. Nor were there any tape recordings of the event, nor was there any real in-depth investigation done on any of the killing sites save one. Because they did it right. Unfortunately, I mean, wrong right. Right, right, of course. (laughs) Now, even though the people of Quebec and Switzerland certainly remember the cult, the Order of the Solar Temple was little more than a blip on the millenarian doomsday cult landscape of the 90s as far as the rest of us went. And there are reasons behind that. Hmm. First of all, they lacked the panache of the more well-known cults at the time. That's where we will have a debate. Because... (laughs) If you look at the footage of Inside That Temple, it looks like a Brian De Palma film. (laughs) Well, it does, but nobody but people like us know about it. Uh, Right, right, right. Because the Order of the Solar Temple, they were not as outwardly dangerous as Om Shinrikyo. They weren't as wacky as Heaven's Gate. Hmm. And their end was nowhere near as dramatic as the Branch Davidians. Okay. And to that end, they weren't all that public either comparatively, we actually don't know a lot about the Order of the Solar Temple because it was mysterious by design. So was it because, were they humble? Was that the no, issue? No, no, no. Kissel. <laughs> oh, okay. No. Uh, how do I put this? Because, you know, I've even said my uh, distrust of introverts, unfortunately. Of course. <laughs> because I'm an extrovert, and so I just feel like they're always plotting. Exactly. This truly is that. It's huh. it's they were so not humble that they believed that their secrets truly were worth keeping. I yeah. see. And that's why it attracted the sort of what you'd say societal high level members, people mm-hmm. with a lot of money, people with a lot of personal cachet, people uh. a part of famous families. So th- th- what you're looking at is an actual real secret society. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, this whole thing was so secretive that some of the members, their close family members didn't even know they were in the cult. Until those family members showed up dead. 
Interesting. Okay. That's true discipline within a cult. Oh, absolutely. That's hard to get. I mean, look at us. With just within the three of us, we constantly accidentally tell people what the next episodes are going to be. Yeah. When of we course. should be holding those cards close to the vest, like Biggie Biggie Small says in the Commandments of the of the Crack Man. I don't know if that's the name <laughs> of the song. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty cool. The thing is that that secretiveness is what makes the Order of the Solar Temple so special. They were a real life secret society of the kind that we normally only see in novels and horror movies. Cool. And the end of the cult is among the most horrific ends that any cult has ever met. All right. However, some argue that the Order of the Solar Temple wasn't even really a cult. Some say that it would actually be more accurate to describe them as an esoteric magical society that got out of hand. Well, and there is something to be said about this claim. Can I just call it a cult? Because <laughs> that can. an esoteric society that got Eso- out of hand esoteric, is not esoteric. Esoteric. Esoteric <laughs> yeah. is just a lot for me to say. I'm just going to call it a cult. Yes. I, I would say I lean towards esoteric magical group that got out of hand because what we have here is something different than the Golden Dawn where – I think they met up with other extreme nerds because we're going to see they have Ooh. a lot of right wing influence deep inside of here. And what do we know about right wing nerds? They are incredibly dangerous. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So this and this is in Switzerland. This is in Switzerland. This is in Quebec. They had some in uh, Australia. Hey, uh, Marcus, what? It doesn't sound like they're so neutral. <laughs> uh, is there? But a they gun? only killed themselves, Kissel. And actually, and this is where I'll debate you because they only killed themselves. Okay, all right. Then I guess that's neutral. Well, I think the OST—they actually share a lot more with the early 20th century European magical societies like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and the Thule Society hmm. than they do with Heaven's Gate or the Branch Davidians. Okay. Like the Golden Dawn, the Order of the Solar Temple made their rituals and doctrines purposefully obtuse and difficult to understand. That way, when people did understand it, or at least pretend to understand it, it made them feel extra special. And that played in perfectly to the claims that the leaders made that their members were superior to the rest of society. I see. Also, never underestimate the power of a paywall they put each layer they put each layer behind a paywall right each one has to be you have to pay in to get to the next branch you learn more secrets you pay in to get to the next branch you get a cape which is true they love their fucking capes mm-hmm. which is like a like a regular benedict cumberbatch love it, love i assume it. he wears capes of course and in the third one they show up and now you're a fucking knight it's like an improv school where each time you're paying to get more and more friends right. and influence and a lot of sometimes you're uh, uh tina fey but a lot of times you're a clinton mcgregor never heard of him exactly exactly uh, so it's interesting so it it seems like they write this stuff super confusing. Mm-hmm. Does anyone actually truly understand it? Or is it like David Icke's book, The Biggest Secret or The Greatest Secret, where it's all such nonsense that people can are I, just like, I get it. But you know you can't get it. Can I respond? <laughs> it's never about a destination, Kissel. Okay. All of this, if you read the Rosicrucian, did you read the Rosicrucian uh, manual Every that got night. sent to us? <laughs> I signed up. For the actual Rosicrucian society <laughs> to read what exactly it was that they believed in. And they believe in a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand it's about the journey. 
It's about it's it's reveling in the mysteries. It's never just arriving in some place. All right. Yeah. Well, this journey and the paywall and all that shit. That's how the OST was able to capture a membership that was a mixture of the middle class and the wealthy, with members ranging from Canadian business executives to police officers to local politicians to even a Swiss watch magnate. Oh. I mean, Whoa. this is as Switzerland as it can be. <laughs> there is so much chocolate and watches in this story. And, and it's like, what so is much like, oh, He is a famous man of the bicyclette. And I was like, oh, he does the bicyclette? And someone, I had to look at that up and I was like, oh, bicycle. Oh, he's a bicycle man? People pay money to a bicycle man? So they got a Canadian businessman just, I would assume, surrounded by ducks. No. I would guess he's in the loon business. I don't know why. Uh, and then you got a watchmaker. Multiple high-level Canadian businessmen. And, you know, watches in Switzerland, that's no joke. <laughs> I mean, it's like being a race car driver in, in America. We're not going to relitigate the clock, okay? I've heard a lot of comments about our clock conversation. We're not here to do that today. If you went to New York City to Greenpoint and you met the La King du Pizza, who is real? There's a king of pizza somewhere in Greenpoint. Like the man that the other ones go to. There's that guy from Napoli. I don't know what he does. And you have to go and you have to kiss his Parmesan-scented ring. That, like Then you would understand the true power of the watchmaker in Switzerland. All right, I get it. I get it. The Parmesan ring is amazing, by the way. Well, one of the things that attracted these people was that the OST was run like a business. Hmm. For example, a judge that worked on the Solar Temple case actually wrote in his final report that the OST was structured like a multinational corporation. Huh. And there was so much money moving in and out of the Solar Temple that some believe that it was more likely a criminal enterprise engaged in vast amounts of money laundering and that the cult was just a front. I but see. I kind of, I do believe in some of that. But the problem is there's no evidence of it because Luke Chere and Joe DeMambro really fucking covered it up. Yeah, they covered it up well. So this is where we get the umption Riccio ties in, right? Where Somewhat, it's kind of a front. yeah. It's also got, it's got tastes, it's... I believe that Order of the Solar Temple, like if it was a, it was like if Scientology was run by Dan Brown and Dio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy diver indeed. But it's hard to know just what the Order of the Solar Temple was really up to, because there have been no definitive books written on the subject. Mm. As far as sources go, we've had to cobble together the story from a variety of internet and print sources. Two of the biggest sources were a collection of essays called The Temple of Death Ooh. and a chapter on the Solar Temple from a book by Shelley King called The Most Evil Secret Societies in History, which is actually a solid read. It's nowhere near as trashy as it sounds. Cool. I like how trashy it sounds. Yeah. yeah. This is why every officer has to go to every single cult, knock on the front door and say, what are you up to? <laughs> Just ask. <laughs> then, in order to fill it out, we've used a wide range of internet sources, such as the New York Times, the LA Times, Time Magazine, Infosec.org, ReligiousTolerance.org, Watchmen.org, and Nexus Magazine. Have you seen the runner of Infosec.org? What is Infosec.org? <laughs> he looks like if Jesse Eisenberg didn't have the 4% of charm that he has. <laughs> <laughs> but, on the other hand... It's also possible that since this story occurred in Quebec and Switzerland, the entire story has been written just in French. Oh, oh that's why it's all the letters are twisted around. Yeah. <laughs> 
Because I was trying to look at some of the stuff, and I was like, Le bon gosse plus, le bon noir, le pacassi. Ish, I do want to apologize up front. Because there's a lot of. Because Swiss French is also different. Right. Right. And it's kind of, that's a whole, I think so. I think it's different. I don't know. It all blends together. But I didn't take French in high school. I took Spanish in high school. Yeah. We were in uh, Canada quite a bit. What was it? Last year? Last I think. year, so I think. We, we, I spoke to a lot of French people. Poutine toilette. <laughs> that's what I learned. That is uh, French fries with a bunch of gravy on it, and then you got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but I would like to uh, reiterate. If there's anybody out there, because I believe there is one book that was written by a survivor, but it is in French. Yeah. So we try to look at it. If yeah. we have any listeners that speak French, that have read any of this primary source material, please drop a book report into the email <laughs> because we tried as much as we could. So we, we, we cobbled together as much as we can. And over these this series, we're going to try and put out the most definitive as much as we can offer as much as collection offer. of information right. about Order of the Solar Temple. Yes. I would pay $10,000 to watch you, Henry, try to read a book in French <laughs> just to see the frustration in your face. No, it's like a Sunday cartoon strip. You're going to come in the living room. The book's going to be upside down. <laughs> I'm wearing like a smoking jacket going like, ah, International Day. <laughs> uh, but according to the French, you mean le deux international. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, since none of us speak French, this is the best that we can do. But we've definitely tried our hardest uh, to make this as accurate as we possibly can. And we're going to try our best to tell the story of the Order of the Solar Temple. Awesome. But there's a couple of, uh, well, I heard in this story because <laughs> yeah. Marcus and I have some different interpretation of the facts, mm -hmm. which could either speak to <laughs> gaps in either one of our readings. Yes. All right. Very cool. Now you can stream the live TV you love for just 40 bucks a month with Sling TV. Get your favorite channels and shows for the best price. If you want live sports, Sling has all the football playoffs and pro and college basketball. Stay up to date with breaking news from around the world with MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News. Sling also has reality, TV, popular entertainment, kid shows, and more. Sling costs almost half as much as other live TV providers, so you can watch more and pay less. Sling is easy. Sign up in minutes, stream at home or on the go on up to three devices, and record up to 50 hours with included DVR space. Get flexible channel lineups that put you in control. Pause, change, or cancel your service at any time. You'll never get locked into a long-term contract. Check out Sling.com for special offers. Sling, the live TV you love for a price you'll love. Last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Thanks, Squarespace! With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website, all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. Um, I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses 
filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya centaur picks are not going anywhere. And I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay, because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need square space to shoot this through the roof for me this year. And that's why I'm going to go full tilt. And not only are you going to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale entire series, clothes and non-clothed, what we also are going to offer, and I mean this, we're trying to get into draft rides. I brought this up the other day. We got to start riding other animals, but horses. Take pictures of the horses. Photoshop the horses into other celebrities, but stop riding them. Save a horse. Ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. Now, one of the most interesting aspects of the temple leadership is that this cult was actually run by two men. Now, New Age guru Luke Jure was the face of the operation in charge of recruitment, while Joseph DeMombro, who could easily be described as a professional cult leader, ran things behind the scenes. DeMombro really has shit figured out because he has figured out how to do nothing but still be the leader of stuff for a long time. Mm-hmm. And up until he died, he actually, I'm going to put this out there, Joseph DeMambro is a successful cult leader. Yeah, Where he, he actually to. saw it through to the very end and he got the exact ending that he wanted. Yeah, and he got it at the age of 70. Wow. Yeah, man. So, um, just my question is, how did the Italian get to Switzerland? Because he's Italian, right? <laughs> no, he's not Italian. He's DeMambro? French. Yeah, he's French. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe his you last name You can be name's... French and have an Italian last name. I'm learning this too, Kissel. Okay. Do you know that you can have that? You <laughs> can be know. like Antonio Babanaccio, <laughs> and you're from London. It happens. <laughs> okay. See, DeMombro seemed to be more the brains of the operation, as he'd run two fairly successful cult-slash-magical societies before Jure even entered the picture. It's for that reason that our story begins with the life of Joseph DeMombro. I do think that this is very unique in cults from what we've seen. I mean, we now have done full deep dives into... Jonestown, mm-hmm. Om Shinrikyo, where else were the other... Heaven's yeah. Gate. Uh, uh, well, we didn't do a deep dive into Heaven's Gate. We also did Children of God. Children of we God, We did Children yeah. of God, Oof. and I, I feel that this is really the first example of Joe DeMambro understood that it takes a village to run a cult. Mm-hmm. And so he huh. went out there, he knew he had to get good people to surround himself with, and when I mean good people, I actually mean bad people. Right. Yeah. Can I just ask, what happened to the two previous cults? How did those end? You'll find out. Okay. DeMambro was born on August 19th, 1924, in southern France to a single mother whom he was said to have a quote-unquote special relationship with (laughs) as they would reportedly stay up far into the night knitting together. (laughs) Okay, well. How I enjoy the knitting, (laughs) oh my sweet mazir. And I'm only two years old. But I have the voice of a fresh captain. How I love to knit together the hairs from your breast. My sweet, sweet Mizir. And she's just like, ooh, 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 ooh. As he's sucking on the mutters. God, that's got to be a great childhood. Oh, my goodness. Hairy breasts, huh? Uh, DeMombro reportedly said he picked up, quote, 
the rhythm of his mother during this time. (laughs) I've seen a couple of videos and X videos where people really pick up the rhythm of their mother. Yeah, I know what you're up to on there. So did they really have a sexual relationship? I have no idea if they actually did or not. It just said he had a special relationship with his mother. Okay, I I will say, being over-mothered leads to a very confident boy, (laughs) which is where I would say I align myself. I see there's a lot of Joe DeMambro in me. And that I have the potential to fucking make it where he fucking lost it out. All right. It's interesting that now you relate to him after we've just been talking about how he might have had sex with his mother. <laughs> uh, and now this is the moment where you claim to be part him. But, but I, I couldn't suckle, so it doesn't really matter. It's we're actually not the same because my cheek muscles were too weak as a boy to get the milk out of my mother's nipples. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the thing is, as far as the first 32 years of DeMombro's life goes... That's pretty much all we know. Okay. Just the knitting and the rhythm. And when you compare that to how much we know about the life of, say, Jim Jones, that's pretty goddamn remarkable. Right. Now, it's said over and over again that DeMombro was a jeweler and a clockmaker by trade, but no one ever says when he practiced those trades or where he lived or what he was really doing for his first three decades on Earth. Hmm. We can infer that he lived in southern France from 1927 to 1956, but what he was doing during, during World War II was, is anyone's guess. Okay. Well, what we do know is that in 1956... DeMombro joined the ancient and mystic order of the Rosy Cross and thus began a life immersed in esoteric knowledge. Ugh, the Rosy Cross. It's Don't search it on Pornhub. It, that sounds really disgusting. It sounds awful. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like a prolapsed, you know what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I understand. Cross. Oh, yeah. Wrecked up. <laughs> The ancient and mystic order of the Rosy Cross, a.k.a. Amork, was a Rosicrucian order founded in the 1910s by H. Spencer Lewis. And it's still around. Still around. I mean, these I guys- just joined it. <laughs> yeah. Like, these guys, they could best be described as low-impact occultism. It's very entry-level stuff. This stuff is so out in the open, I could head up to the Amork Center on 135th Street right now and just get a belly full of information. Hold on. Yeah, it's so better than an ass load. <laughs> so they're a low-impact, they're the Nordic track of cults? Is that what's going on here? They are very, their belief system is broad. Mm-hmm. It is about leading a more spiritual and psychically connected life to nature and our our place in the universe. The Rosicrucian mm. Order is said to be a part of mystery schools that have been around for thousands upon thousands of years. And it's basically since, which is, I mean, we need to do an entire episode on the Rosicrucians, like an entire series, because we, we there's so much to pack to unpack out of the Rosicrucians. But straight up, it's like it goes. Their lessons go from how to balance your checkbook right. to how to astral protect yourself. Oh. So it's like it's all across the map. Yeah. Wow, okay. I mean, to give it really broad overview, I mean, their main focus is, quote, the study of the elusive mysteries of life in the universe, offering spiritual wisdom, mastery of life, expanded awareness, and a sense of connectedness. And all this information is supposedly gleaned from what they call the secret schools. Good Lord, guys. You know what the irony of all of this is? I'm going to join. <laughs> I am. Act- I'm going to go. It, it sounds pretty cool. I mean, really? I mean, Amork, they're not a cult, even no. though it certainly sounds like one. I 
I mean, nobody's making a ton of money off of this, and right. it seems like it's more just, it's like a fairly innocent fraternal organization that's been around since the 1700s that once boasted Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry as a member. There, I mean, honestly, Henry, you know, astral projection, that's pretty cool, but I want to know how to balance my checkbook. <laughs> like, I, I like these guys. I think it only costs something like $105 a month to join. I'm looking at the application right now. They have to choose you. So that that is a little bit difficult, but I mean, secret schools are real. That's a part of what right. has been around since the beginning of time. This idea of coded information that is hiding, essentially parables and shit that is st- st- told from generation to generation that hide within those parables real information about the world. Okay. I mean, people, you could even say that about us, is that if you get through all the jerk off jokes on our show <laughs> right you'll learn something sure but it's almost as if the journey through the jokes makes you earn the information absolutely <laughs> see a mark they're essentially a gigantic mishmash of half a dozen mythologies and religions all cobbled together to form one overarching philosophy okay but for the most part that's just what it is philosophy hmm. there's no real money involved there's not really any one person at the top and nobody is having sex because of their association with a mork. I mean, there's got to be at least one woman in Belgium that if you said, hey, I'm, I'm actually a part of a mork, she'd be like, long. <laughs> and then just and jump right on you because she knows that you have the powers of the ancients. Interesting. A mork, huh? A mork, yeah. A mork. And since none of that was happening, since there was no money flowing in and out, there was no real power structure, and there was no sex, a mork wasn't given Joseph DeMombro what he really wanted. You say this, but I actually think it gave him exactly what he wanted. It is a perfectly vague superstructure of beliefs that what you can then do is take that information and package it. So like Rosicrucian Order, when you when you join a Mork, what you get is these lessons that you're supposed to uh, rumorate over for an hour and a half each week. And then you essentially take a test and you go through all of his shit and you work your way up the levels. Very similar to Scientology. But I think what he realizes is that it's because of the vacuum of leadership <laughs> is that when you can go in there, you can create a whole esoteric society and be like, holy shit, because you're probably in this room filled with a bunch of impressionable people, both like women with no bras on and men with their with handlebar mustaches. Sure. I don't know what Belgium is like. I don't know what it's like in Southern France. <laughs> sounds, but you're sitting there accurate. just a, but you're like, I can own all these bitches if I fucking figure out how to make myself the top of the pyramid. And how do I do that? Oh, I just tell him I am. Well, I think Joseph DeMombro, like, yes, he was looking for information. He did glean a lot of information from uh, Amork, but as Mm. far as activities went, that wasn't what he wanted. He wanted something more. He wanted something a little more dangerous. Okay. Uh, And so... In 1969, when DeMombro was well into his 40s, he'd been with Amork for about 13 years, he'd left. And it seems like the lesson that he took with him was this. The esoteric world is a mashup culture. You can mix and match whatever you want using the myths, religions, and histories of the past. And just so long as you sell it, you can get people to follow you. But DeMombro had no interest in a philosophical society. He wanted something more powerful, and I think we can infer this from his criminal record at the time. (laughs) 
He was arrested for impersonating a psychologist in France in the early 70s, so we know he had no problem manipulating people. Oh, thank you for coming to my office. Isn't it how interesting that I could make a therapist's office just by putting up a sign? Yeah, it's <laughs> great to be here, yeah. Yeah, you're the hugest woman I've ever seen. My <laughs> prescription for you is to... Cut off your feet. <laughs> well, that is... uh, too tall for you, sir. <laughs> I mean, ma'am. The third psychiatrist to tell me that this week. I, uh, I guess I'll just do that. And DeMambro was also arrested for writing bad checks around the same time. So we know he had no problem with fraud. Okay. DeMambro was primed and ready to begin his new career. And he did that in 1973 when he founded the Center for the Preparation of the New Age. <laughs> There's a part of this that it's not that I um, it's not that I appreciate the work that Joe DeMambro put in, but I will say there is an entrepreneurship to starting a cult that yeah. I respect in a way where you look at it where like on some level there's a the book um that we have been reading on this the uh, Order of the Solar Temple the Temple of Death has a really good breakdown of, well, you know, when we look at eventually at the Knights Templar, what's really the difference between a successful cult and a religion? Right. If the successful cult manages to fit incorrectly into society's needs and the things that it wants, and essentially, and there's enough infrastructure around it that then the status quo allows it to exist, eventually it just becomes legit. Like, yeah. you become, you can have billboards up, you can do all the shit, and DeMambro was trying to mix and match it, but the thing is, is that showing all the, the check fraud and all this stuff, on one level you could say, oh, he was just trying to fake it till he made it, right. but then the other level is, oh, he's a classless scumbag that will do anything for money. I do like that idea of, uh, as a, uh, of cult leaders as entrepreneurs, because in some ways they are, mm -hmm. and I would love to see them on Shark Tank, <laughs> and uh, naturally, Mr. Wonderful, he would, he would buy 10% of the company, uh -huh. 500000 that's probably what they're about worth, you know. That appreciation, if you could show, yeah. but you got to do the math on Shark Tank in order to prove it. And then you have Marshall Applewhite just being like, and then all you have to do is snip the tip. And they're all like, <laughs> that's interesting. Do you have proprietary rights to that, to, to cutting the top of the penis off? Or? Mr. Wonderful always takes a royalty also. You know, it's ridiculous. Well, still in France, DeMombro began attracting followers by convincing him that he was the reincarnation of everyone from Osiris to Moses. Ooh. And those chosen for his group? Well, they just happen to be the reincarnations of famous people, too. Don't you want to feel special, Marcus? <laughs> just for a fucking second. Don't you just want to have a mysterious, tiny, fat-bodied man with a mustache tell you that you're special? Because I've been looking at you, Marcus, honestly, a lot. We've been doing this show together for eight years. Uh -huh. I'm sorry, Kissel. Um, unfortunately, your last, re your last uh, reincarnation cycle... You were a box of chicken. You were from Kentucky Fried Chicken. You were literally just a box of chicken thighs. So you're that. doing great now. But Marcus, can I tell you? Okay. I think you're you're a descendant of, of Ripley T. Zeppelin, the inventor of the Zeppelin. Wow. It is it is amazing. Yes! That's incredible. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. Everyone has always That'll reincarnated be... like Cleopatra or like King Tut. Maybe you're just the town fiddler or like the person they called like the magic magic tickler and like you were crucified for doing that. Oh, just so you know, for those uh, information, for those bits of information, you guys both owe me five hundred dollars. Fine. Here it is. Uh, DeMombro exerted complete control of his followers early on, decreeing that he was the only one with the knowledge and the foresight to pair his followers in marriage. And these people could only have children if and when DeMombro allowed it. Well, this is sort of, can I actually say, so, but this is when the center of the 
for the preparation of the New Age was kind of already clicking along. Mm-hmm. Up until then, he was throwing a lot of Rosicrucian shit at them and then hit them with, I also can see your life cycles yeah. right. with my mind's eye. Well, deciding when people have relationships and then deciding when they can have kids, that's really intrusive stuff here. Yeah, extremely so. Now, the reasoning behind this was that since everyone was a reincarnation of someone famous and powerful, selective breeding would naturally produce the strongest offspring that could usher in the said new age how many women were marilyn monroe that's what i want to know can you be multiples or do you only get one i think that demombro was allowed to be multiples but most everyone else could just be one luke Jurey, that we'll see later on he started pulling the reincarnation bit in canada and he would switch it up okay he would do a, he would very often do the I had the vision last night that, that uh, you are in a previous life marilyn, marilyn monroe and the only way for me to prove it is that I have to test it with my penis. Uh-oh. <laughs> and then the next morning he'd wake up and she'd be like, I'm so glad that we had that conversation last night about me being Marilyn Monroe and you know, how I'm going to be bride of the cosmos. And he's just like, yeah, about that. <laughs> uh, it seems that my mind's eye has made a bit of a blue bear. <laughs> You have to leave. You have yeah. to get out of hey, here. You know what? I don't care. People always say, I want to come back as Marilyn. Come back as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's what I say. <laughs> well, what Henry's saying is absolutely true. And, so you know, funny. and Jure, and he would do that with everyone. He wouldn't just do it with women, he would do it with the guy who'd be like, hey, guess what? Last night, found out you're Moses. Now you're a leader. And then the next day, he would what? wake up. What? <laughs> yeah, dude, it's you. You're Moses. Me? You're a leader. Oh, yeah. Come on. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. And and then the next day, he would wake up and be like, you know what, dude? I was wrong. You're not Moses. Guess what, Ben? You're Moses. Cool. I love oh. you're not Moses. So it sounds, oh. I mean, honestly, they sound like a mix between uh, Billy Mays, R.I.P., <laughs> the greatest pitch man of all time, and then just somebody trying to get laid. Like a pick, It's like Billy Mays and a pickup artist. Yeah. You got to start somewhere before you become a deity, and that's how you start, man. This is the Bush Leagues of being a god. Okay. Yeah. Well, as far as pairing everybody up went, when, you came to, when it came to the reincarnations, so let's say if someone who was the reincarnation of Moses were to unwittingly get together with the reincarnation of Cleopatra, uh-huh. you're going to have all sorts of problems there. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> of yeah, course. Yeah, that's do, a- do we want to create another Jamie Kennedy? <laughs> <laughs> One is enough. But if you mixed Cleopatra with, say, King Arthur... Then oh. you got something special. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, you do. <laughs> and DeMombro said that he was the only one who knew the path to successful breeding. Ugh. He was the breed master. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, I like the term, the breed master. I, <laughs> I kind of want to just get a, a, a what it says, like, official breed master license and go, I mean, like, y'all should fuck. Like, back around. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like the, a, the, a horrible horror movie where you get it. Like, one of those movies where you just see the cover back in the day, the uh-huh. VHSs, and then you put the VHS in. And in this case, it would just be a bunch of horse insemination. <laughs> and you're like, why am I watching this? It was a cool cover, but this is disgusting. So while DeMombro was heading up the center, he started picking up lackeys that would follow him until the end. One of those was respected Swiss orchestra conductor Mikhail Tabaknik. Now, Tabaknik would eventually go on trial in the late 90s for his involvement in the Solar Temple. And there's a lot of speculation as to how much he was really involved. 
but we do know that he had extensive knowledge of the occult and at the very least wrote many of the materials that would eventually be used by the Order of the Solar Temple. Okay. So together, Demombro and Tabaknik took some of Demombro's followers and moved to Geneva, Switzerland in 1978. Very nice. There, they rebranded the Center for the Preparation of the New Age into the Foundation of the Golden Way. This is important because this is Scientology did too. It's about shifting shifting locations uh-huh. and names. And stuff. So essentially, you're even confusing the people that are already involved. Picking up new, basically by changing the name. Like, you remember New Pepsi? <laughs> yep. For some reason, you get a fucking bump every single time you change the name. Because right. people go like, oh, what the hell is that? And it starts with these lectures. But also, DeMambro very smartly held out for these type of famous people, like Scientology did, mm. where they, he understood, like, I need respected members of society to be involved in this to bring people into the fold. So if he was a cult leader now, he would get Instagram's Norbit. <laughs> Frenchie in the news, Doug the Pug, might be able to uh, be a member of the cult. Uh, but I don't think Doug the Pug can be flipped. No, I don't think so either. He's, he's honest. Uh, as, 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 the, as the sun burns, he is honest. Uh, I actually have a, uh, a story about Geneva, Switzerland. My grandfather had a lot of money in the banks there. Did he? But we're not going to oh. go into that. Oh, weird. He, I yeah. wonder why he had to hide all that money. No, it's fine. I mean, he wasn't in a, I thought in he a was country just, that was famously neutral in a certain uh, war. Whatever, man. Yeah, it just, feel, it just feels weird that he had to strap a bunch of money to his body in order to cross a bunch of country lines to go put it in an unnamed Swiss bank account. Yeah, but he was before ATMs, so... It was a little bit more difficult back then. So, now, Even though things were going fair to Midland when it came to DeMombro's Egyptian-based cosmic children hodgepodge, he was missing a hook, something romantic to really capture the European imagination. Mm. And the hook that he eventually found was the Knights Templar. I just imagined it's flags yeah. and yeah. trombones <laughs> and horses winning and they're out there and they got the, the it's cool man it's super metal like coming as they fucking over the ridge they got fucking a bleeding Jesus on a cross yeah everyone's dude. scared of it I'd be opening up my beer cans with a guillotine <laughs> now that really does sound fun now, the Knights Templar are among the most storied organizations in history. Popping up in everything from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade to the Assassin's Creed video game series. Huh. But since their period of relevance occurred almost a thousand years ago, and since they were a secret society of sorts, and since it's just a damn good story, the historical record on the Knights Templar is heavily debated. Okay. It is heavily heavily debated we are literally just scratching the surface of a topic that has books and books and books and ducks and and all of the shit and Mm. movies all all piled on top of it dan brown is literally drives in a yacht with wheels because (laughs) of the knights templar they are the the knights templar is a i want to cover them very very badly we will uh Fully, and we will as a part of eventually we will do a secret school series if I'm allowed my say for once. 
I think that you get your say quite – I wouldn't say you get your say. I think you get your yell quite a bit. Um, but, of course, you make great decisions. Now, when you're debating this, you're not allowed to wear pants, right? Is that the rule where it's like the debate has begun, remove your pants, and then sit, and then – I don't know, assume whitey tighties. Well, concerning the debate, you know, as we've discovered with the Order of the Solar Temple, the fact that the Knights Templar are so heavily debated isn't that surprising. Hmm. I mean, we can – barely figure out what happened with a secret society that existed only a couple of decades ago. So you can only imagine how difficult it is to come to a consensus about a secret society that existed 700 years in the past. A true secret society is a beautiful thing. Because what they've learned over periods of time, it's like what we've seen with the Freemasons. Now the Freemasons have a new Netflix series where they're trying to be super transparent about everything, which really? makes me just trust them even more. It's like the new Pope. I hate that shit. I hate when you're now, oh, so now we're nice. Right. But a part of it is when you create the wall of secrecy, the wall becomes a mirror. And then you can put whatever you want onto it. And that's exactly what they want. But the Knights Templar is is debated because of the workings of it, because we're going to see it became way more like McDonald's than the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So what we're going to give here is the Occam's Razor version of the story, told as succinctly as we can get. So the Knights Templar were a Catholic military order that was established in the year 1119 between the First and Second Crusades, back when Christians decided to take back the Holy Land through a centuries-long campaign of warfare, torture, and murder. But the thing was, taking back the Holy Land was meaningless if no one could actually go there. So the Knights Templar were created to escort rich people on holy pilgrimages from Europe to Jerusalem. Now, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of yada, yada, yada in history There's a lot of shit. Yeah. A lot of yada, yada, yada in those two fucking paragraphs. All right. So know that, but the Knights Templar were either a group of rapists and murderers that were kicked out of England that they because no one would go. Right. It was either that because they offered indulgences to people that would go to Jerusalem to fight the Crusades. So they think maybe they went and they gave all these guys a clean slate spiritually to go. Okay. Or it was true royal bloodlines. Don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it could have also been like that these were truly pure beings, that they were, these were pure men with altruistic Christian uh, faiths that were doing their duty towards God by bringing the faithful to the Holy Land. I mean, they sound like it's exactly what the, the or they, Poke, oh, it yeah, sound, it's, yeah. it's exactly what the Pennsylvania Poker King did. <laughs> he, he just brought people to Poland. They yeah. probably just got hammered and had a great time. They might have. Or, yeah, it or, yeah, it or it could be that uh, the Knights Templar were just a bunch of psychopaths that wanted an excuse to put a sword through someone's throat and not have any consequences. Honestly, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> Fueled by the power of Jesus Christ himself, you're allowed. You, nay, you are told by Jesus to fucking murder Oh, yeah. So you're just out there to... With that fucking square helmet going like, In the name of Christ, I cleave you. And then just fucking slashing open dude's fucking guts. And he's like... And then the guy next to him is like, Should we have asked them to convert first? <laughs> no, gold will do it. Ah. And the other side. <laughs> but even though the Knights Templar were definitely among the most feared combatants of the Crusades, only 10% of them actually saw any combat. Hmm. The other 90% were administration. <sighs> 
their racket was to hold on to the valuables of pilgrims while they were off on their little jaunts, and while they were gone, the Templars would charge interest, essentially inventing modern banking as we know it. And also, that's the problem with our public school system, the bureaucracy. (laughs) Give more money to the teachers, cut the fat of the top. That's right. This is not your stuff. I'm sorry. This is Knights Templar's time. (laughs) And of course... These guys had all the necessary secret rites and rituals. You fucking got to, dude. When a Knights Templar was inducted, they would swear to honorable motives that had nothing to do with wealth or fame, and if they were accepted, the Grand Master would kiss them on the lips, neck, and belly. Can I not be accepted? Now it is time. (laughs) Sir Kissel. Yeah. Of the Purient. Reveal your belly. (laughs) 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 The raspberry of holiness. (laughs) Does it tickle you? He's a witch. (laughs) Horrible. Cleave him. But the thing was, as time went by, the Templars got soft. By the time the 1300s rolled around, the Arab world had been lost, the Crusades were over, Mm. and the Templars were little more than businessmen and bankers. Hmm. But what I heard was, (laughs) was that they didn't get, it wasn't so much soft as it was they got organized, and they started providing a true competition towards the Catholic Church and the Christian Church. Ooh. And they basically what they did was they basically were creating a little empire and then they were creating their own little uh, churches and little administrations are doing all this shit. And it just so happened that King Philip of France owed them a bunch of money. A whole bunch of money. I wouldn't go against the Catholic Church back in the day, man. They were pretty brittle. Mm-mm. And, you know, and I would say, yeah, they did. Uh, the Our two statements are not mutually exclusive because, mm. yes, they did become extremely organized and they essentially became the establishment, but they were no longer the large group of psychopaths with swords that they were 200 years ago. And nobody mm. back then was going to fuck with the Knights Templar. And th- but by the 1300s, King Philip decided there was not going to be any problem with wiping these fuckers out. And that is what we call here on the show, moment of agreement. <laughs> That's great. That's Congratulations, guys. It's rare. It's Thank rare. You. But it's nice. It's rare. It's, it's nice. But that's the thing. Yeah, King Philip, he owed him a lot of money. He also had a war with Edward I of England going on that was getting mighty expensive. So in order to seize the Knights Templar assets and wipe out his own debt all in one fell swoop, King Philip declared the Knights Templar heretics and accused them of everything from using severed heads in their rituals Ooh. to having gigantic gay Templar orgies. Ooh, man, them stinky, stinky Templar orgies. <laughs> just lifting the flaps, pulling all that metal down just to stab it in there. I mean, like, yes, I happen to see Sir Kissel the Purient. Your butthole is empty of God's love. <laughs> and that's why I shall cleave it. <laughs> but it, they can, they're allowed to do that now. Yeah. They are allowed to do that And I think it's brave, and if they want to do that, they can. Absolutely, and I can tell you, after our stakes in OKC, my butthole is not empty of any love. (laughs) Um, Edward I. Uh Uh-huh. Shouldn't that just be Edward? Well, there were there oh, were Edwards got, afterwards. This is a whole thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if he was the only Edward, they just call him King Edward. Okay. But then there was like two, three, four, five, six. Uh, there's a lot of Edwards afterwards. I just think it starts at the second. <laughs> it should just, just, just be it's Edward. Just, anyway, I, I well, because it, well, not, what it does is that it tells you that there's a succession of Edwards. I see. Your Sir- comic misunderstanding <laughs> one day will be dementia. <laughs> 
So King Philip, to bolster these uh, heretic claims, he found a few disgruntled knights and allowed them to testify against all the others. And so 138 Templars were rounded up and tortured until they confessed to at least one charge. Mm. Then, on May 12, 1310, King Philip ordered his men to load 54 Templars into horse carts for transport outside of Paris. There, the king's men unhitched the horses and burned the men alive right there in the carts. Ooh. Essentially putting an end to the Knights Templar. Okay. Now, to come back, remember this. This is the story that is then used to fuel Order of the Solar Temples and the, and the idea of the the retribution for the Knights Templar and the concept that they then existed in secret for years and years and years, passed on, passed on by secret members of the Knights Templar. And that weird fake fact would be used by cults and various esoteric groups for the generations. So this allows them to claim victimhood, right? To say, we've been persecuted in the past. Growing up, I heard a lot about the Romans throwing Christians to the lions. It's like everywhere. And it did happen. It was just a long time ago. Yeah, Yeah, it kind of came out on top. And and honestly, the Christians kind of, they spent that whole cachet with, uh, what is it, the Crusades. Uh, yeah, 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 because they kind of flipped it and reversed it and became uh, bloodthirsty psychopaths and monsters. Interesting. For a little while, for a, a few hundred years. <laughs> what's, what's a few hundred years among friends? <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, it's not just the martyrdom of the Knights Templar that makes them attractive to esoteric groups. There's also the fact that, you know, to put it in the most human way possible, the Knights Templar looked super cool in a way that, frankly, appeals to nerds. Okay. Yeah, it fucking does, dude. It's metal as shit. It's fucking, you're out there, you got the armor and shit. Nothing makes a fat man look better than armor yeah. because it covers it all up. Yeah, I mean, of course, fat men look great dressed like toasters uh, and other appliances. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much the aesthetic is uh, the knight Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail, the one that guards the bridge that gets all of his limbs chopped off. Yeah. That's pretty much a knight's temple. Aesthetic, but you make it white instead of black. Okay, I see. No, dude, and you also have it directed by Guy Ritchie. <laughs> the whole thing is that they get that guy is supposed to be a fucking badass yeah. with his fucking beard hanging out of his fucking chain mail, and he's got a huge broadsword covered in the blood of heretics and shit. It's fucking awesome. Can I just ask, what the hell happened to Guy Ritchie? Did did Mad- huh. did Madonna just ruin the guy? I think he's got a new movie coming out. Actually, it's supposed okay. to be like a re- King Arthur was not. It bad. was brutally bad. <laughs> Well, so because the aesthetic appealed to nerds and because of the whole victimhood martyrdom thing, a resurgence in neo-Templar societies founded by intellectuals and occultists came in the early 1800s. And by the 1950s, hundreds of these organizations existed throughout the world, with many of them claiming that they were being initiated as Knights Templars from the spirit world by ascended Masters of the Temple. Honestly, I yeah, do dude. get it. That that is much more exciting than being Steve. <laughs> that is a, that's an exciting life to live. I get it. And burgeoning cult leader Joseph de Mombro looked at this super interesting mythology that had an attractive built-in iconography that was rooted in a familiar religion, i.e., Christianity, hmm. and he said, "Yeah, I was initiated too." Okay. Hell yeah, dude. You just claim that you're a Knights Templar, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you are. That's the magic of suggestion. Okay. Or lying. It's also lying. 
Oh, you say you say one way, I say the other way, because I consider myself a bit of a entrepreneur. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, DeMombro wasn't the only person knocking around Europe in the 70s that was obsessed with the Knights Templar. Another man, much younger than DeMombro, was about to enter the scene. Mm. That man was the second half of the Order of the Solar Temple's leadership, Luke Jarret. Now, Luke Jarret had what DeMambro didn't have, which was he had the looks, he had the gumption. He sounded like, um, remember in Home Alone when they're all in the hotel watching the French television and watching the French television shows? He looks like those French actors. Which is like, I don't, I couldn't understand what he was all French. But it is very romantic, very sexy. Yeah. Five o'clock stuff. Very calming. Uh, it's a, he's a low-key type of guy, but that was exactly what DeMambro needed. Now, awesome. since Jarret was a good 20 years younger than DeMombro, we got a little bit more information concerning his early life, but again, compared to guys like Jim Jones, there really isn't much. Luke Jarret was born in 1947 in the Belgian Congo in Africa in what is now known as the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Okay. Now, we don't know what his parents were doing there, but soon after Jarret's birth, the family returned to their home country of Belgium. I, can, I think it's safe to say they weren't, like, community organizing or, like, building. I would assume what they were doing there is nefarious. Well, well not in, in that point of uh, – in that point in uh, the Belgian Congo, they were trying uh, reforms. Oh, okay. Uh, they were – like, there was, like, an economic growth and like, starting in the mid-40s up until uh, the 60s. Uh, and then a revolution came, uh, and it became the Democratic Republic of Congo that we know and fear today. I see. Now, the only thing we really know about Jure's personality growing up comes from his younger brother, who said that Jure was a gifted, competitive child who was an accomplished alpinist by the time he was a teenager. What is an alpinist? Mountain climber. Oh! Say mountain climber, you <laughs> Frenches! <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm just repeating what the brother said. I get I'm just it. Right now. Bro- brother said alpinist. I'm going to call him an alpinist. It's that's a great way to say someone it's someone who's trying to escape their family. <laughs> that's really yeah. The Alps and yeah. the alpinist. Yeah, it does sound like. Well, yeah. Do you ever see that uh, live show, The Puppetry of the Penis? Nope. I watched them in college. Yeah, uh, and it was quite interesting. Yeah, it, it seems like that could also be called an alpinist. <laughs> Hi, my name is Alpinist. <laughs> that, I am the creator of Puppetry of the Penis. Uh, absolutely, of course. It doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> then, when Jarret reached his late teens, he began consorting with a group called the Walloon Communist Youth. Do they walk backwards? <laughs> what is the Walloon? I'm, that is just... It's fun. It's cute. Okay. They're trying to make it cute. I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like when we say Walloon, like it's different than, like, say, if you're you know, speaking French, you're like, Walloon. Communist youth. Oh, yeah, or, yeah. Okay. Com- commun- Communist youth. They do sound like a cult that uh, invented the duck face in the <laughs> selfie pictures. Well, these guys presumably made up, of, made up of a bunch of teenage Belgian communists. Okay. After that, Jure took those communist beliefs with him into the Belgian army where he served as a paratrooper. There, he told one friend that he would, quote, Help communism to clean out the army. Although I have no idea what that means. All right. I don't know. Help. Because it didn't seem like it worked. No. Because <laughs> I don't think that they take to it. I don't think they take to a new 17-year-old communist being like, we should all share the same bar of soap. <laughs> and they're like, get out of here. But following that, Jure attended the Free University of Brussels and became a licensed physician, which would become one of Jure's main selling points. Because if you can't trust a doctor, then who? 
who can you trust? <sighs> in the book we were reading, uh, in in the Temple of Death, Jure, in an interview with this reporter, actively says that the doctors of previous society, which I have no clue if it's real or not, were at the shamans and the priests of their society. So why shouldn't a doctor move closer to being a priest? And that a hmm. doctor should have the same level of importance to his flock as a priest does, so he should be both controlling their body and their spirit. Okay. But soon after beginning his practice, Jurey became disillusioned with the medical profession and set off traveling the world in search of himself, where he picked up acupuncture and homeopathy. Now, for those of you who don't know, homeopathy is the practice of treating a disease by giving the patient small doses of natural substances that in a healthy person would create the symptoms of the disease. Hmm. For example, just earlier this year, a boy in Canada made headlines when he was treated for aggressive behavioral problems with a homeopathic mixture that contained rabid dog saliva. Why? Well, how you get that? Because if he's aggressive... Then you treat him with something in the natural world that makes you aggressive, i.e. being rabid. It's supposed to be like a natural inoculation. Yeah, something like it's supposed to uh, get it's supposed to get the body working its own uh, red or its own white blood cells. Well, I mean, he could have turned into Cujo. (laughs) What are they doing in Canada? It's nice to be in the paper, though. Yeah, it's a big deal in Canada. (laughs) Well, a less extreme example would be treating allergies with minuscule amounts of red onions because red onions make your eyes water in the same way that allergies. Do. Onions. Yeah. <laughs> I love red onions. Onion. Uh, I love an onion. But I, um, I'm not saying that it's, but we just, uh, does it work or not? I have no real opinion on it. I feel like if whatever works for you, works for you. But uh, I guess you should probably vaccinate your kids, though. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would think that's probably a big thing well, to do. Right I would there. think so. Polio's coming back, yeah. which, is a, which is a problem. That's a bad thing. Yeah. Now, I, I do know in, in Switzerland, it is uh, legally recognized. In Canada, it's legally recognized. It's well, yeah, it, yeah, you know. Yeah, you know I'm <laughs> yeah. I just feel Canada, like they wear the same colored denim on the top and the bottom. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with a little tuxedo. Come on. Well, the point is, though, is that homeopathic remedies eventually became Luke Jure's bread and butter. By 1976, Jure had set up his own homeopathic clinic in Belgium, and since the two are closely related, Jure started getting into New Age belief as well. Usually, if you're into homeopathy, you're probably into crystals, too. I took another notice that uh, you are getting very fat, Uh, so so I will literally give you some bread and butter. Yes! (laughs) Because it makes you fat. And you think that maybe you eat what makes you fat and you get skinny? I don't know. I was hoping for the bread and butter treatment. (laughs) Hell yeah. But the New Age stuff wasn't Jure's only interest in the esoteric. He also just happened to be obsessed with the Knights Templar and Hmm. reportedly had been from a young age. And since he was starting to amass a bit of a following with his homeopathic clinic, he started meeting with other people in Europe who were also in the New Age game. And one of those people was Joseph DeMombro. Ooh, so he had his own little Magnolia Bakery going on. Which <laughs> Magno- we tr- Ma- yeah, Ma- not Magnolia Bakery. Magnolia Bakery is here in New York City. I think it's the Magnolia Farms. Was it just the farms? Yeah, yeah, you're talking about... JoJo and Chip. Yeah. We saw the silos. <laughs> you saw the silos? We saw the silos, yeah, It's yeah. not Magnolia Bakery. We had to explain to you in Waco as well that you were not going to be getting cupcakes. <laughs> Don't I remember you just a little insight into our traveling. We don't need all that. (laughs) We definitely drove a half hour out of our way because I wanted to get a shirt for Jackie. And I remember Kissel being like, 
yeah, this is fine. If you go over there, I can get myself a cupcake. I was like, no, that's not what it is, Kissel. And you're like, see me and tell me. I'll go up in there. There's not going to be any fucking cupcakes for us. And I was just like, no, there's not. There's not a bakery. It's not going to be anything. We're just trying to get a shirt. And then we arrived, and it was a fucking two lines around the block. We're yes. Like, Fuck this shit. I just I don't like that your impression of me is like the fat guy from Varsity Blues. <laughs> you remember that guy? Good lord. Well, Demombro and Jure, they didn't join forces immediately. Rather, Demombro introduced Jure to another guy who was obsessed with the Templars. That man was Julian Arigas. Oh man, this fucking guy. Now, Arigas is a hard guy to pin down. Some say that he was a former member of the Nazi secret police known as the Gestapo. Others say that he was just an interpreter for the Nazis, but still did four years in prison for collaborating. Okay. Either way, though, the guy's a fucking Nazi. Okay. He was a straight-up for-real Nazi. Like, yeah. not uh, not a nude Nazi, not a, not a alt-right Nazi. He was an actual head of uniform. Right, right, okay. And white supremacists of all stripes have flocked to the Knights Templar for centuries like moths to the flame. Ah, uh, I see. For example, be- because, you know, these guys are, uh, they're crusaders. Right. They take the white man into the Holy Land and kill the brown man. And a little understated fact about white supremacists and the alt-right, they're fucking nerds. <laughs> yeah, they dude. They really are nerds. That's why, they're, that's why they're worth, it's, I love nerds. Let's not malign nerds. Okay. I love nerds. The problem is aggressive Evil nerds. Yeah. The evil nerds, which we've already covered with the Nazis, they right. still exist. Yeah. And they need to be stamped out, number one, by not fucking them, and number two, by physical force. All right. These guys were... Anders Brevik was one of them. Yes, we'll have to cover him in the future. Yeah, I mean, Anders Brevik, he, you know, who, you know, if you'll remember, killed 77 people in Norway yep. in just one day in 2011, claimed to actually be in the Knights Temple. I see. He said that he was part of a secret Knights Templar underground cell that had members all over Europe. And the reason behind the massacre was to draw attention to his far-right anti-Muslim manifesto that was largely a plagiarization of the Unabomber manifesto. Okay. He just switched out some words. Right. Uh, now, Anders Breivik was probably lying about the vast underground network business, but at the very least... Brevik loved cosplaying in a homemade military uniform that featured a Knights Templar medal as its centerpiece, and Knights Templar iconography plays heavily into the imagery of quite a few modern far-right groups. I love cosplay. I think it's adorable when you cosplay as Daredevil yeah. or as Killshot or yeah, something I like, like sexy that. cosplay, too. Yes. I like that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Military yeah. cosplay is a special kind of intense, I want to say the word nerd, I don't know, any, what, what's the other word for it? Uh, but military cosplay, those people are like, they can be scary. Yeah, they really can be. But the right-wing groups always ruin all the shit. It's like they ruin Al-Sutra, yeah. where they, they take all the symbolism and then they, they pervert it for their own dumb shit uh, ends. I hate right. this shit, because it's, it's Templar rules. But I hate that they've been used to do bad things. Oh, yeah, and All Right's been using it as well, the whole uh, Deus Volt thing. Have you heard about that? Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, it's all Knights Templar shit. I see. Yeah. Now, Origas never did anything close to what Anders Brevik did. His game was a fairly successful Templar-based cult called the Renewed Order of the Temple. We actually know very little about their beliefs outside of their obsession with the Knights Templar and their aping of Rosicrucian themes. Mm. What we do know is that Jure and Origas got along like gangbusters. Okay. And Jure joined the renewed Order of the Temple in the early 80s. 
At the same time, Jure got friendlier with Demombro. And Jure joined the foundation of the Golden Way as well. That was yeah, Demombro's so this, cult that he okay, was running. So, so this many... became the traveling Wilburys of shitheads. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how many cults are we dealing with right now? Right now we just Three. got two. We well, got r- the... right, right now it's just two. It's Origas and uh, Demombro. Okay. No, we got Luke Jure's cult too that he's dragging along his members with. Well, it's not a cult. Luke Jure doesn't have a cult yet. He just has a follow. Like he has That's a small the homeopathic. That's a homeopathic. Those are his patients, right, I guess. Right now, Luke Jure has uh, good customers. Okay. But it's not quite a cult just yet. I see. But besides his affiliation with these groups, Luke Jure was becoming a star in the New Age world in his own right. His homeopathic clinic was getting more popular, and as a consequence, Jure was gaining his own followers. Mm. And when Jure realized that he really had something special here, he took his message on the road, giving lectures at New Age bookstores around Europe, preaching the virtues of naturopathy and ecology. So a part of his central tenets were that disease was caused by bad things going into the body and that he also felt that spiritually pollution was created by bad things going into our souls on planet earth so it started with a really light message about eating healthy taking care of yourself and all this shit but he immediately would shift right into this age of aquarius stuff saying that the age of aquarius was coming and the only way for us to make the spiritual jump to the age of Aquarius was that we needed to cleanse our souls and we needed to cleanse our bodies. And because if not, we're going to be, uh, he didn't clarify what would happen, but he did say it would be best to prepare yourself for the jump. He is already planting these seeds. I'm going to mm-hmm. say also, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Sixties and seventies, the worst pop song, age of Aquarius. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Oh. Song. I kind of love that song. What, really? I love that song. This is the dog. It's always like hot hippie chicks dancing and, and guys with long mustaches kind of shimmying next to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Henry was saying, I mean, this is all pretty innocent stuff in the early days. And of course, you know, it's a mostly positive message and it's mm-hmm. delivered by a handsome, charismatic guy. And so Jure gained even more followers, mm. more like uh, fans, okay. I would say. But in 1983, Origas died, leaving the renewed Order of the Temple leaderless. So Jure, who figured he'd built up enough capital both inside and outside of the Order to make a serious run for the throne, tried taking leadership for himself. But his run failed, and the Origas family forced him out. One guy that was a member of the Renewed Order of the Temple in one of the docs I watched, I believe it was the uh, the, the Witness was the documentary series. What he said was that they actually did a whole ceremony. He was like, they came, we had the pump and circumstance, luxury entered, and we did the, the switching. We handed the sip there. And then the family was like, nope. No, like they're trying really? to get the whole ceremony going and then literally people going like, stop it, stop it, you're not leader yet? But it's like, but I do not understand, we've already blew the trumpets. And it's just like, no, we can't blow the trumpets until we filled out all these trumpet firing forms. Ah, interesting. So he was real close. Really close, yeah. And a lot of members supported him being the leader. 
And that's when DeMombro got an idea. Hmm. See, DeMombro, he's doing all right as a cult leader, but he was terrible at recruiting. Yeah, because he was a little fucking troll. (laughs) He's a very gross little man. Yeah, and he was great at picking up weirdos who were already into this shit. Right. But he was bad at getting the regular folk through the door. Yeah, you want to expand the base. Mm Mm-hmm. So when DeMombro saw that this good-looking, eloquent, charismatic Belgian named Luc Jurey was looking for a new home, DeMombro asked him if he'd like to be second in command as something new he was cooking up, and Jurey agreed. Like- I'd like to make an announcement um, to all of my followers. Um, I have decided to take my talents to South France. That's an NBA joke. Oh my god, was that a, was that a what, that was what? a LeBron James joke? Oh my yep. god, and that was only that only happened nine years ago. <laughs> yeah, so that is we were at Bobby Bonilla, who has been retired for about twenty years. <laughs> yeah, and but now you're all the way up to two thousand and seven. See, that's amazing. <laughs> or maybe I'm becoming a full fledged straight man. <laughs> So, Luke Jure took half of the renewed Order of the Temple membership and his homeopathic followers and merged them with DeMombro's Foundation of the Golden Way, and that is how the Order of the Solar Temple was born. Awesome. And with this merger came an infrastructure that definitely nudged the whole situation from a magical society over into cult territory. Okay. Because remember this. The way this started was a bunch of loosely affiliated nerds um, yelling at chalices right. in conference rooms. <laughs> like it started with a bunch of guys talking about the Holy Grail and the Knights Templar and uh-huh. talking about Rosicrucianism and eating beets. In a room, like which I can't imagine what that smelled like, Oof. especially in France. Yikes! Um, so now they all kind of sat and figured out, like, what are we going to do? Because the they took Jure's immediate uh, cult structure, and Demambro understand how we can flex this as hard as possible. So Jure sort of became the face. Would that is that safe to say? That is a hundred percent the case. Okay. Yeah, Jure was the face, and Demambro was the guy behind the scenes. I see. And around this time, Jure introduced levels into the mix, which oh. is essential for any money-making cult. Of course. Now, there were three structures that a member had to ascend through to make it to the inner circle. The first was the Amanta Club. Ooh. This was made up of people that Jure picked up at his lectures. Did you read the testimony of what it was like going to one of the Amanta Club's original meetings? No. They had a big, they had a big what they called a, straight up, they called it a poll party. Where they went out and had these bonfire nights for the solstice. And it was a big pole and all these nerds in a field. And they said the pole was supposed to stand for the poles of the earth. And they sat and they had eggs. They literally ate eggs. <laughs> and they went around the pole with the streamers. And there she's sitting watching it. And that some of them, a lot of them got tired. Uh-huh. Some of them stayed up to watch the sun come up, which was the, supposed to be the main crux of the meeting. I mean, honestly, man, it sounds like a perfect meeting for Edith Massey from Pink Flamingos. (laughs) Eggs. Give me more eggs. Now, the introductory offer that a prospective member could subscribe to was an observer membership, which would let them participate without commitment for three to six months. And if they decided to join, the price was 142 Swiss francs per quarter. That's How many francs? Mm -hmm. How many francs? Is dollars. That's eight hot dogs. Swiss, under Swiss francs, <laughs> it's two dollars. But so then I you have to go back. But then we have to do it. This is 70s money. Yeah, well, this is 1984 money. 1984? Yeah. 
It says nine here. Hot dogs. Nine wow, hot dogs. it's a direct. It's a direct conversion. Cool, huh? So one hundred forty-two dollars. Huh. So actually, so quarterly. So you're paying about a grand a year. I would it, say it, grand a grand a year. That's introductory, though. That's expensive. That, I mean, it's, I a, mean, it's a middle class expense. Okay. And if that's, you get a cape, honestly. That's pretty much worth your money right there. I got $300 for MUFON, and that's all. Like I got This time I got the hat. I got the new polo. I got the lanyard. But now I find out that when I sign up for the VIP thing, I get a new VIP inspector polo. And then I get the platinum lanyard. <laughs> Man. Uh, it just it's it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Congrats! Is the new shirt? Is it is it more breathe, breathable? It's worse. It's a terrible shirt. Very good. Now, once people were a part of the Amanta Club, they would then be in charge of spreading the word by booking more spots at more New Age bookstores for Jure. I see. And they would do one hell of a job as Jure would go on to speak at over 200 functions. And these lectures seemed like they would be, you know, when you first checked out the advertisements, you think, ah, this is typical New Age feel-good time because, like, this is what one of the advertisements said. Quote, Luxury physician speaking on love and biology. Ooh, interesting. See, it's kind of romantic. It's like, A little but bit. Like, it sounds cool, and it's very innocent because that's what he would do. I mean, this was really before it got sinister. Yeah, this, I mean, it obviously always it was always a grift. But the thing started as, like, he was doing the inspirational speeches, and they were trying to figure out. They really just, in the end, before they wanted to murder everybody, they really just wanted to control everybody. I mm-hmm. see. So it's like when you see a sign that says, comedy, live comedy night, and then you go in, and someone is, a, it's a prop comedian. Yeah. And you're like, yes. this has all been a lie. <laughs> well, I mean, even though it wasn't that dark in the early days, okay. but it definitely had an edge to it. Because when you went in, uh, you heard Jure preaching about ecology and healthy living and all that, but the tone was starting to get a little more apocalyptic. He said definitively that the end of the world was coming and that we'd all be killed by either a collapsing environment or super volcanoes or both. So he's a he's a uh, fire and brimstone nutritionist in a, <laughs> yes. in a way? Is that yes, actually, which is yeah, a rock and roll nutritionist, man. Okay. Rock that diet, buddy. Interesting. But the audience members could avoid all of that if they followed Luc Jure. Of course. And if a person bought that line of horseshit and joined the Amanta Club... They were then eligible for the Arcadia Club, but only those who were deemed worthy were asked to join this level. You couldn't apply for this. You had to be asked. Honestly, this is fucking UCB. <laughs> yeah, it's UCB. This is, this is Michael Ian Black and what's the other one? Amy no, no, Poehler. it's not Michael Ian Black. No, no, no. This is, it's Amy, it's it's all of them. It's fucking Matt Besser. Nobody outside of New York City knows that, what the fuck UCB is. <laughs> or they, they don't I, know what UCB is, they don't know what improv classes are. All right, forget <laughs> about it. They know what improv classes <laughs> are. I've seen that in several cities. And I think you recognize your improv teachers a little bit in Luke <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, if people bought the first line, they'd be asked to join the next line. Okay. Now, once people reached the level of the Arcadia Club, they were given more advanced knowledge that Jure said would enable them to move towards a higher consciousness. Hmm. And, of course, 
The price went up exponentially at this level as well. What are we at now? Well, I don't know. I have, they don't, we don't I, I know. absolutely have, I no, have no. no idea. It's the um, it's the prices where it says ask the manager. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you're fucked. That's Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so but we can assume it was pretty expensive. Pretty expensive, because just like with Scientology, each level came with a set of prohibitively expensive books that outline the theology. But the trick is, as it is with Scientology, uh-huh. that information. Only raises more questions. Of course. And those questions are only answered if you reach level three. Hmm. The top level was the International Knighthood Chivalric Organization of the <laughs> Solar Temple, which I assume sounds a lot smoother in French. <laughs> but I will say you get a uh you get the cape. Well, this is where you, get, is where you get your cape. You get a cape at every level. You, you get, so you could have three capes at this point. You get a white cape at the first level. Okay. You get a red cape at the second level, and then the third level, black. Ooh. Black fucking cape, dude. That's so badass. That's what I want from my cult. Yes, I my, want merch. My white cape would be just filled with like ranch dressing and ketchup just immediately. Uh, I see that you have turned your white cape, Senor Kiseo, into more of a Dalmatian colored cape. <laughs> Well, the third level came with an extraordinary initiation fee. This is where only the richest and most powerful would be allowed. Okay. And it demanded, quote-unquote, severe discipline. Ugh. Yeah, man. You have to not slap Luke Jure every single time he says something dumb about how tomatoes will make you not gay. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like this, is, this whole level three sounds like um, the gym, the gym coach in uh, Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds huh. like. Extreme discipline. Yeah, it seems like this is kind of a. Is it a sexual thing? Uh, well, we're gonna get into all the sex afterwards. What? We're gonna get into the sex in the next episode. People are so in need of like a bunch of really rigid rules. It's no. quite strange to me. I love it. I don't it know. According to Ursula K. Le Guin's *The Dispossessed*, people are naturally. Uh, People are inclined to be governed because it's easier to be governed. Yeah. That's what Loki said. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's what a lot of villains say. You're still okay, Gwyn's not a villain. Was Loki a villain? I watched the new <laughs> Avengers and Loki is no longer a villain. He actually helped us. Well, in the first Avengers movie, he was a villain. That was the greatest political speech in the history of movies. <laughs> <laughs> but soon after founding the temple, Jure's lectures started taking a darker tone. Hmm. On one Swiss radio show, he said, quote, We are in the reign of fire. Everything is being consumed. He then started putting out audio cassettes of his lectures, including one called Fundamental Time of Life, Death. Interesting. (laughs) Wow. Okay. In one of his most unknowingly prophetic remarks, Jure said this on that tape. Death is the ultimate stage of personnel growth. And this is just the beginning of the order. I see. So he, yeah, man, he's already doing death's the ultimate trip. Yeah, which right. is being like, well, I mean, I'm like, cool, Luke, and all and shit like that. But I thought we were gonna like astral project, so I like <laughs> could go into my ex girlfriend's house and see her take a shower and shit. I don't know, man. <laughs> right, crazy. Now, while Jare was acting as the face. DeMombro was behind the scenes building the mythology, slowly creating his own little world of deception, subjugation, sex, and eventually murder. Murder. And that's where we'll pick back up next time with the actual beliefs, rituals, members, and eventual criminal activities of the Order of the Solar Temple.
All right. Well, this is. Uh, I'm just gonna say, as I said before, wacky. You think this is wacky? I, mean, I wouldn't. Really, I it wouldn't is wacky. Ca- I wouldn't call these, this wacky. No, because everyone's no, just buying into it. No, I, the yeah, man, it's metal as shit. Is, is, uh, we can go metal, but it is just funny to me how um, it's just how easy. It doesn't. It seems easy, too easy to start a cult. People That's all in, I'm saying. They yeah. had they had a couple under. We the have the, the amazing thing is that we have no idea how many cults exist. Just in this city that we're in right now. Of course. How many cults are in New York City right now? How many Buddy, cults are in, I'm Los, in Los Angeles around? I'm right in now? Los Angeles. I almost just joined a cult <laughs> when I was doing yoga. They show up all the time. You never know when this shit pops up. I right. love cults, though. This yeah. is still my favorite of all the... This is my favorite... Me too. ...of all the true crime subjects. Right. Because you can really get into it and you can see yourself because I... And I do believe in this life, man, you're either a leader or a follower. All right, and so like the Marines say, which I've always believed, uh-huh. you got to lead, follow, or get out of the way. Right. You know what I mean? And that's you... on a T-shirt. No, <laughs> I've also not. seen a T-shirt where it says on the back where it says, "If you could read this, the bitch fell off." Yeah, <laughs> no, it, in in no way is that a bumper sticker um, uh, side by side with the Confederate flag. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that is just totally. All right, the Order of the Solar Temple. Well, awesome stuff. Part that, one, yeah. Part one, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a three-part series. Woo! Yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah, we are we doing three parts? We're doing three parts, buddy. All right. Awesome. Let's get this going, man. I'm fucking all about it. And I tell you what, I today, you know what I'm fueled by? And I'm going to do a plug for a listener who sent me this. I don't know who sent it to me, and they sent it to me a while ago. But I've been, uh, I love my Spring Hill Jack coffee, but I just got a man bot coffee. It's real good. All right. Very good. Very good. Yeah, so I'm about to take a big old shit. Wonderful. <laughs> Being uh, fueled through this. Because I, I don't know if you can hear this. We're all like pretty sick. I know. So a lot of yeah. Well, we, yeah. I mean, we were we were on tour, you know, for a week, and that you know that of course yep. I came back with a cold sore so large that it uh, my top lip began overlapping my bottom lip. A night to remember. <laughs> um, we want to thank everyone in D.C., Dallas, Austin, OKC. It was awesome. It was so um, great. Everyone yeah. was so incredibly cool. And honestly, we spent a little time in Dallas. And in full disclosure, we were a bit like, ah, I wish we had more time in Austin, but Dallas. I love the bars out there. Great we, bars. We had a great time. We got to see the election uh, in in Texas. A lot of sad Beto fans Amazing, out there, but, but it was it was fun though. Positive overall, guys. Positive overall. Positive great. overall. And you can listen to Abe Lincoln's top yeah. for all that kind yeah. of stuff. Just remember, if you fuckers can turn Lubbock blue, that is an accomplishment. All right. Well, we had a great. Well, yeah, time. we had a blast time, and then we're going to be in Indy, Woo-hoo. in Chicago next week. I'm really excited to be. So cold, my balls fall off yep. <laughs> because it's currently 77 degrees and sunny in Los Angeles. Of course. <laughs> uh, and I'm not ready for your onslaught of reality. Oh. No, it's fine. We spent yesterday in 25 degree Ooh. weather and uh, stinging ice snow. It was interesting. Uh, yeah, and that'll be, what, when are we doing that? The, at the end of that's, the month? That's going to be uh, November 30th in Indianapolis and December 1st in um, Chicago. Awesome. And next week, uh, we have to do Thanksgiving, so we're not going to be with you. Yeah. Um, yes, but we, we are taking a break. But what we're going to do is side stories is still going to come yep, out. we'll do a side stories. Uh, side stories coming out. We are going to be uh, prepping for these next two episodes. The content we have over December, I'm so fucking excited for. We have a bunch of stuff we've been waiting to get to for many years that we have been tackling because a part of it's being like I, you know if, if we don't do it now what are we going to do wait until we're fucking dead <laughs> huh? <Is> that, absolutely <laughs> so uh, yes anyway oh, and also don't forget the uh, yeah a little bit a little bit of plug here don't forget 
It's Christmas season. Christmas is coming up. So yes. if you would like some gifts for your uh, loved ones, go over to lastpodcastmerch.com. Absolutely. Uh, or lastpodcastontheleft.com and uh, follow the link to uh, the merch place merch page. Uh, we got a lot of we got some fun detective popcorn plushies for everyone. Absolutely. That I think would be a wonderful them. little gift. Please don't. stop fucking them. Well, I, <laughs> I don't, don't know. know who don't fuck them. But a part of it is that we part of that December rollout is that we're going to be filming our live show in December and we're going to be pushing that to you guys. For those of you that have not been able to make it to the live show this year, we're going to be selling it live, and I hope you guys can take a look at what we're putting together. Yep. Because once we're once we're done shooting this live show, we're throwing it out and writing a new one. Yeah, this yep, is absolutely. what we do every time. We've done this like five times where yeah. we've written an entire show because we believe you guys deserve something special. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So and that'll be and that that'll be fun to watch with your whole family over Christmas <laughs> and I think well it'll be like $6.66 or something like that. Yeah. Totally affordable. Yeah. And uh next year uh we're trying we're starting to plot out like a whole tour for next year. Ooh. So uh we yep. uh we're going to be coming to uh yeah, j- trust me. Indianapolis and Dallas are not or Indianapolis and Chicago are not going to be our last live shows. Uh 2018 we're going to be or 2019 we're going to be going all over the world. All over the world. Yes, cannot wait. We always love seeing you all. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening, and thank you for giving to our Patreon. Um, should we request some, a million dollars for Six Flags? <laughs> well, this is going to be our new idea. I mean, we need we actually have to put uh, a heading on our Patreon page, but we got a, a new Patreon level, a uh, million dollars a month. Six flags on us. Six flags on us. Six flags on us. <laughs> if anyone That's easy wants to it, do. we will take you um, to Six Flags and we'll have a hell of a time. And it's on us. And it's on us. <laughs> it's on us. The whole can, trip will be on Even us. if you just do a million dollars for one month and can't, yeah. that's okay. We'll still go it's to Six Flags. It's so fun. On us. On us. It's on us. You get all the, any of the rides you want to go on, any of the corn dogs, any any merch. We'll get yeah. the fast pass. You can stack a bunch going. of hats on my head. I don't care. <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. Hail me. And a magustalations. And may the memories of the Knights Templar go far into space. <laughs> so it does sound fun to like cling some beers to. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Hey, Side Stories listeners, this is Henry Zabrowski. Uh, you may recognize me. I'm the host of this podcast along with the other fucking monster, Ben Kissel. And I'm here to tell you about Trollville, a new series brought to you and created by me, Natalie Jean and Sina Navi. This show is about what happens when you take an internet troll and you watch his online behavior slip into his real life and see how does that change him? Is he ready to join society? We've made this project with a lot of love on our own dime. I'm really hoping you guys will enjoy it. It's $1.99 per episode and $5 for the entire series. It's over 50 minutes of my body jiggling back and forth. We're really, really proud of it and we hope you guys can check it out. It's on Vimeo. The URL is vimeo.com slash on demand slash trollville. Again, that's vimeo.com slash on demand slash Trollville, which is troll as in pieces of troll, and Ville, V-I-L-L-E. Please check it out. I think it's a fucking masterpiece for my sweet, slippery fingers. Hail Satan. <laughs>